0: I find it very contrasting, the open fields, and, you know, this sense of horizon and, well, nature and the constant rumble of hmm. traffic. Maybe we could record a little bit of the space? Yes. Just to see, like, what is sound-wise. From, From here? Yes, please. Mm-hmm. You know, for what is happening, because also, like, I feel this space, there's, like, roads all around it. Yeah, exactly, so it's, it's in the middle it of… it creates, like, interesting vibe also. Um, and contrast.
1: Rolling. Can sound inspire us to think differently? We'll take you to places you'd probably never go. Remote, unfamiliar, not very appealing places. Yet ones that are exciting and reveal much about the future challenges posed to our society. Ones that are rich in sound. Future Landscapes, a podcast on the challenges of humankind, as heard in sound. The previous episode took us to the Kali Aquaponic Farm in the Czech Republic. Now, we're moving only some 200 kilometers further north to a grazing reserve in Milovice. Together, these two places will allow us to sketch a new story of the future landscape, as new methods of farming offer the potential to free the land from intensive agricultural production. Artificial Nature or Natural Artificiality – Episode 4 – Milovice Grazing Reserve, Czech Republic The Milovice Reserve has a unique history and also unique inhabitants. For years, this piece of land was ravaged as it served as a military training ground, but it is now gradually becoming populated by large-hoofed mammals like wild horses, bison, and aurochs, that used to inhabit the area in the time of prehistoric hunters and early farmers. However, philosopher of technology Lukasz Likavczan, musicians Václav Havelka and Pan Thorarinson, and field recordist Sara Pinheiro, are not here just to admire the magnificence of the animals. What they hope to hear is what a landscape might sound like in the very distant future. Because although the reserve covers only a small area, it might foreshadow what our landscape will look like in the future if it were no longer used for intensive agriculture and was left alone for natural processes to take over. Experiments like this, which show possible ways forward, can open up our imagination on how to reproduce human and non-human worlds in a sustainable manner. When we arrive at the wooden fence with electric wires that circles the entire reserve, we're looking at a landscape that does not resemble anything you might associate with Central Europe. The low-growing shrubs and abundance of plants evoke an open steppe. People are normally not allowed to enter. The place exists solely for non-human species. After the reintroduction of large mammals, The scientists were expecting a sharp rise of biodiversity, but they were shocked at how fast and how intensively plants, insects, butterflies, and other species started to take over.
0: incredible. Everywhere we go, there is the potential to be natural and quiet and then there's always a road.
1: The disappointment expressed by Sarah Pinheiro summarizes the current reality of reservations like this. It is negligibly small compared to the human infrastructure, thoroughfares and production units it is adjacent to, so the sounds of the surroundings drift in. Nature can be left alone to do its thing, but this has clear borders. Within the fenced area, however, a particular revolt against the exploitation of the land is taking place. But, before we dive in, let's hear the thoughts of philosopher Lukash Likovchan on the misconceptions of natural and artificial in terms of the historical development of farming.
0: Yeah, let me tell you about farming, because uh, farming is probably one of the oldest techniques of landscaping, making landscapes, one of the oldest techniques, at least known by humans. But, you know, making landscapes is not just a human activity. All the mammals do that, also different plants, termites, and different kinds of insects build their own habitats of this sort. Mm -hmm. And so basically, we must think about farming as something, as. You know, something that is constructed, something that is artificial to some extent, something that sometimes works against the landscape as it were before. In between invention of agriculture, there's roughly like four or five thousand years when people did not have any kind of like complex organized states or something like that. They lived, for example, just uh, near to habitats which offered them like multiple food chains they could rely on. So for them, using farming was just like an opportunistic strategy to somehow enlarge the portfolio of the nutrients Mm -hmm. they can have Mm -hmm. and the food chains they can rely on. Uh, They were farmers, but hunters and gatherers at the same time. It's interesting to think about that, like the decisive change really is the invention of the state power in this respect. And Mm -hmm. the fact that uh, agricultural production is uh, easy to control, easy to tax, easy to ration, and that's something that offers opportunities for creation of these communities that are based on uh, blood relations, that are closed, that distinguish between civilization and barbarians, and so on. Think about any kind of myth that has at its beginning this story about the God that brings the first seed and uh, teaches people how to plough and do all this stuff necessary to to grow plants. To me, it's like a massive psychological operation that happens that basically forces people to suddenly live in close communities, to invest their labor into an extremely energy-expensive process of farming, as it were back then. you can see a beginning of like new power hierarchies in the way how farming basically becomes the sole and most important source of uh, the nutrients for people in the past. Agriculture invents a whole cascade of consequences that result in a style of society that starts to resemble what we call today organized, controlled modern society of this sort.
1: Even though the very first impression an incoming observer gets is that the process of rewilding can be witnessed here in real time, our guide, who is part of the management of the reserve, doesn't use the term. This was not the original purpose of reintroducing the ancient species. Rewilding is nonetheless a byproduct of freeing the landscape from human activity. With the exception of a few staff members, people are allowed to enter only sporadically, we had to obtain permission and can move around the reserve only while accompanied by a guide and in an all-terrain vehicle, which could withstand an encounter with the huge and powerful animals that live here.
0: So the very first thing I was thinking about when we were told that we are entering this kind of site was the notion of human exclusion zones, which is uh, an idea that I guess will be quite important in the coming decades. Those are places where uh, for some reason people are not either allowed or at least not welcomed, but it doesn't exclude some kind of relationship to that kind of zone. You can imagine these zones as being mostly zones of industrial production in the future, like automated factories or container terminals. And what we see here is a very different variation on this same idea of an exclusion zone Not because of humans complicating the flow of production, but humans complicating a different kind of process. And that's the process of a rewilding of nature. This process of rewilding is something that is quite popular at the moment, which is an idea about leaving half of the earth only for spontaneous human processes and the second half for human economic production and inhabitation this question comes again like is it natural is it artificial is is, is this a process which is controlled or spontaneous But well, what is important for me is that when we talk about for example control we can distinguish different connotations of this word control
1: This place wouldn't exist in its present form if people hadn't decided to create it. From this perspective, it was artificially established. But a laboratory reservation of this sort can stand at the beginning of a turn towards a new approach to the human control of nature, a minimalistic one that is very different from what dominated the development of the Czech countryside for decades. This doesn't exactly mean going back to the roots but it can be a completely new kind of relationship between man and the landscape, where the main purpose of the latter will be to become a home to nature.
0: Something that we can, for example, find also in some disciplines that um, originate in 20th century, like cybernetics, the Greek root of that word, kybernetes, it means to steer, steermanship. And steering means to be a custodian, to be something like a curator of the landscape rather than a controller, master, in this kind of like oppressive sense of the world. And that also means that we can imagine different relationship to the planet and the non-humans than the one which is primarily based on uh, production and extraction. It can be a kind of relation which is really curatorial in its nature and leads us to a different kind of economics in the end. Economics which is not just about focusing on production but on reproduction. And this is where we see a specific kind of reproductive process happening. So, in the end, we can build a whole economy around that. An economy that doesn't trivialize biodiversity, but cherishes biodiversity as the basis for resilience of not just ecosystems, but also for resilience of societies.
1: The most remarkable animal to be seen in Milowice is the auric. This animal used to inhabit Europe for thousands of years and was extinct for hundreds, as the last one was killed in Poland in 1627. Teams of scientists repeatedly attempted to genetically re-establish this species since 2008, and just roughly seven years ago they succeeded. And an ark was born again in the Netherlands. Here, in Milovitsa, six aurics were reintroduced. They share about 85% of their DNA with the indigenous breed. But it's impossible to say how faithful their sound is to their predecessors.
0: It's also about evolutionary drama the drama of actually you know bringing back an animal that was extinct and also about recalling with the fact that the i mean ancestors of these animals were actually domesticated by people and turned into completely different species in the process And so that's also about seeing the way how creating this kind of subordinate relationship or subordinating an animal to a certain kind of like early, you know, economy of the farm of the domus of the first uh, sedentary civilizations, like how that also in the end domesticated us Mm -hmm. and showed us a certain template for how we treat each other in a way, as subordinates or unsubordinate to each other. So this place also embodies some idea of equality, or a possible equality, which is based on actually learning from the non-humans again in a different way that we learned in the past.
1: You can imagine the unprecedented growth of biodiversity as the flourishing of many species of plants, insects, and butterflies. For example, The butterfly population has increased by 170% in five years, and the number of gentian seedlings grew by more than 5,000%. This process can be related to the ancient mammals who dominate the area, as their eating habits are very different from domesticated animals. To put it simply, the new inhabitants are not picky and eat almost anything, and therefore, they don't endanger any particular plant species.
0: To me, it was a nice exercise in getting under the skin of a different creature than me, to that extent to which the moment, as I was uh, getting into this kind of mind flow, when you actually understand that uh, you know, your mind just drifts, and you suddenly realize that you pay so much attention to every single movement mm. of, uh, of the animal, to every single sound, because you try to guess like, okay, what are they up to next? That moment is like you're getting really out of your mind Mm. and you're experiencing a bit of what it is like to be Mm. perhaps a bison.
1: The silence of the heart of the reserve brings an intense experience of animal sounds and reminds us of how difficult it is to hear natural soundscapes where human infrastructures prevail.
0: imaginary natural balance. It's actually something that needs a lot of effort to reach the balance lost in this way. Or not lost, but the balance lost will be never restored, but we can find a new one through the artificial interventions. That's very important in relation to this slogan of, of restore, repair, retreat, reviled, Because uh, the sometimes we actually need to do a lot of artificial intervention to introduce back something that in the old-fashioned categories we call natural, such as the reintroduction of the buffaloes in the rewilding zone, or the restoration of the atmosphere by the artificial drawdown of the CO2 emissions.
1: Deep inside the reservation, we're able to approach the animals from up close. Here, nothing is rhythmical or repetitive. The time passes unnoticed and unmeasured. Once an area is freed from a recurring agricultural cycle, time starts to work in many layers, none of which are dominant. This kind of temporality comes with a challenge. How to perceive the dimensions of reality and embrace its diversity as a means for us to better understand where we are.
0: These tempos of beings can be nicely explained through the metaphor that comes from the agriculture and the cycles that the agriculture somehow imposes on human habits, on human actions. James C. Scott, uh, who wrote a wonderful book Against the Grain, uses this metaphor of the metronome of the cereals, the metronome that sets the daily routines, that sets yearly cycles. And he says that it's something like a musical background beat of domestication and agriculturalization process. And not only that, it establishes the whole web of civilizational metaphors and Rituals. And the open question is whether we are still in the 21st century happy with uh, these kinds of metaphors and these kinds of uh, cycles and routines, or whether actually we shouldn't return to certain cycles that we have abandoned because we have found in the modern society cycles based on a homogenization of time and a certain insensitivity towards this uh, preset, these kind of default landscapes that give us also these default timescapes accompanied with the default soundscapes. It also means that through being sensitive to the timescapes, we can understand what does it mean to value the object and the landscape on its own terms rather than imposing it with a layer of human meaning making
1: you've just heard the fourth episode of future landscapes a podcast on the challenges of humankind based on a sonic expedition into the ambivalent technologies and ecosystems of the Czech Republic and Iceland. You can find much more at futurelandscapes.cz. Stay tuned to this podcast for more sonic journeys.